It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. If anybody in their right mind is worried about Jalen Brunson translating the next level, then they didn't watch him play. I believe their team is destiny, man. I really do not think that they're going to be denied. Whether it's the fight Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. Stop feeding John me to car bombs. Run the ball, control the clock, don't do anything stupid. And John Mita. Kids out there, make sure you practice your free throws. Dear God, give me an interview with the Eagles scouting department. I know I can be better. What is up, SoundCloud, iTunes? Oh, yeah, it's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Joe Donald, John Mita with you. Keeping it real as always. A lot to dive into. Follow us on Twitter at Belove Podcast. That's Twitter at Belove Podcast. Johnny Mita, what's shaking? Not a whole lot, man. Just uh, soaking up the rays here in North Palm Beach, Florida, man. I can't tell you how nice the weather is because I don't want you to get jealous, Joe. Well, I appreciate that. It's been awfully beautiful in central Iowa. It's playoff weather, playoff hockey weather. And uh, part of the reason for the long layoff is some chaos towards the end of the Iowa Wild regular season. Lots of road games, lots of long trips, and then getting ready for the postseason. Playoff hockey in Des Moines, John Mead. I know you're happy for the Iowa Wild. I appreciate your support, brother. It was a very nice phone call the other day. And I uh, appreciate uh, your patience well, as we tell- get together again on the Brotherly Love podcast. Well, tell the people what, what happened yesterday. I mean, give them a little inclination of what went on yesterday. Yeah, it was a little bit of a beatdown. Uh, a little surprised, actually, but a 7 nothing win in the first ever playoff game in franchise history. So, best of five series. Iowa leads Milwaukee really? one nothing, and um, game two will be about the time most of you tune into this podcast here. And so, we'll <laughs> see what happens. But yeah, I didn't expect 7 nothing, and uh, we'll take it. Got to work on the goal call. That's always good. There you go. We'll get to the Flyers in a couple of minutes. They've hired a new head coach in Elaine Vigneault. We'll talk as well about the Phillies and the injury bug has hit the fightings early in the season. I guess it's better now than September. Uh, Eagles draft sort of prognosis or outlook. That's coming your way as well on the Brotherly Love podcast because the NFL draft is Thursday night. Uh, But we'll start with the Philadelphia 76ers who have a 3-1 lead over the Brooklyn Nets. Still sounds weird to me to say Brooklyn Nets. That's after dropping game one, of course, where they look flat. I don't want to say disinterested, but just not uh, like a basketball team is ready to make any type of run. Last three games have certainly changed that. And I was especially pleased with the way the game four went down because so many times, John Mita, the last couple of years, especially last year, the frustrating thing from my vantage point, non-basketball guy, watch when I can, approach was they weren't able to win the close games. They would do something just totally ridiculous, boneheaded, stupid. They seemed immature, not ready, that they needed more experience, seasoning, whatever the term is. They didn't come up big sometimes in big moments with the game on the line, particularly in that Boston series. And I'm thinking to myself, if you can't beat the damn Brooklyn Nets in a close game on the road with a chance to go up 3-1, well, what has this team learned? Maybe it is the coach. Maybe it is this, this core group. Maybe they're just not good enough. All those things are going through my mind as that game was sort of unraveling and maybe slipping away from the Sixers uh, because for large stretches, the Nets won or were leading, excuse me. But in the last couple of minutes 
Embiid and Simmons came up big. The defense did what it should do. And it looked like the Nets were the team that were sort of rattled and phased by the situation with, you know, costly turnovers and whatnot. And the Sixers essentially stole a game that they didn't lead for much of, if at all. And now they got a 3-1 series lead. So your thoughts on the Game 4 win, the series so far, and then can the Sixers get it done at home Game 5? Again, by the time most of you listen, it's probably about uh, time to tip off, but a chance for the Sixers to put them away. Yeah, I mean, the, the first game was just kind of a bit of a disaster. But you got I think the one thing that I look at is the resiliency of the team and how they came back and not knowing that Joel Embiid wasn't going to play in Game 3 and the way they came out and all the criticism of Ben Simmons and the trash talking between the two sides. I mean, you got to love playoff basketball because it, it just and, – and, and it's very similar, you know, to, to your sport hockey, whereas, you know, with the hockey playoffs, it, once the playoffs starts, it just gets amped up to a different level. Guys are really playing it's, – it, they're just not going through the motions. I mean, everything is on the line, and, and that's good to see. Um, a couple takeaways. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, I've been a huge critic of Ben Simmons and not being able to shoot the basketball, but – um. And some of the things that I did like is, you know, he, he played to the strengths of his game, which was getting up and down the floor, getting the easy fast break points. Um, and that, that was absolutely huge. Um, and I like the fact that you're talking about coming back in the game. Over the course of the season, I can't tell you, there was countless games that I saw where, you know, and I kind of asked myself the question, what the hell are they doing? Right. Why not give Joel and beat the ball down the paint? And in the last two minutes of this game, they tried to, if you look at the fourth quarter, they were going to him a lot. And he was coming up very well. Well, I can't stop him. Now, I mean, Jared Allen seems like a nice player. Might be decent down the line, but he's a child compared to JoJo. Yeah, well, I mean, JoJo's just mammoth. And, you know, the biggest play of the game is JoJo. They kind of swing the ball around. The ball's supposed to go to Joe. He kind of fumbles it a little bit, but makes a great touch pass to Mike Scott in the corner. And my man, Bad News Brown, like that former WWF wrestler, Bad News Brown, Mike Scott drills one from the corner. And then they go down, and they're up two points, and the defense, they swarmed Karen uh, out. They swarmed him. Ben Simmons makes a steal, which is unbelievable. And then he has the IQ to give the ball to Tobias Harris. Yeah, because he can't shoot free throws. <laughs> Which, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, it was like, The awareness, wow. yep. The awareness. Such a heady play. And they give the ball to the Bias Harris. Bias Harris comes out, knocks down the free throws. They go up for, you know, game to match. What I think will happen is, I think now that it, it's, it's very demoralizing if you can go on the road in a playoff series and steal two games. You know, the question is, you know, once they have their foot on the pedal, they got it. I think that was like the big thing for them in game two. Like, they had their foot on the pedal the entire game. They just never let up. And I think that's what's going to have to happen in this game. You know, the crowd's going to be electric in Philadelphia. It's going to be a closeout game. And bottom line is you want to close this game out so you can get your team some necessary rest. Yeah. Obviously, MB's been battling, you know, tendonitis of the knee and who else knows what else he's got going on, but I think it's really important for the Sixers to close this thing out uh, tomorrow night and, and, and move on. And obviously, in all likelihood, it looks like they're going to be facing the Toronto Raptors unless the Orlando Mar- Magic 
could pull off some type of miracle and steal another game. Right, and look at and look at the rest of the Eastern Conference. Pacers got swept, right? Celtics have already advanced. Bucks are about to finish off their series. You mentioned the Raptors are on the verge. You don't want to be that team that's playing into a game seven when everybody else is getting rest. Because even though you might have an advantage game one because they might be rusty, by the time that long right. series starts to wrap up in round two, you could be gassed. So they got to get it done. They got to get the process, JoJo Embiid, some rest. And they got to just take care of business. It's a 3-6 matchup. You're supposed to win yeah. these easily. It's the NBA playoffs. And it's been a dogfight. I, I give the Nets credit. They're a scrappy bunch. They've got some shooters. That Levert kid's been a beast. But listen, the Sixers yeah. are the better team. Nobody can contain Embiid. Just do your thing. Get it done. Yeah, and um, you know, and, and give Brett Brown some credit. Obviously, I've been extremely critical of him as well, and I, I think he's been, I've done a nice job as far as shortening the bench to substitution. Right now, it's a playoffs. He's kind of rolling with like pretty much an eight-man rotation. Some other guys get sprinkled in if they're up a lot of points, but other than that, he's kind of stuck with it with a you know a more limited rotation. And I think it's paying off dividends. So. Good adjustment for him, and he's made some decent adjustments in the second half of these games, kind of to, to put the Sixers in the uh, in the running for a win. So, all right, let's jump to the Phils. They are uh, licking their wounds after the House of Horrors that is Coors Field. They win just one of four games. They were down to basically the final strike from winning another game in that series, and they gave up a walk off dinger. I uh, didn't watch any of yesterday's games, so I don't know what to tell you there. But certainly the injuries, losing several players in-game during the series. Uh, Kingery, you know, McCutcheon appears hobbled. He's out there gutting it out. You know, they've just, they've had some injuries now the last couple of times out. David Robertson's on the DL, the or the injured list, the, the reliever they got from the Yankees. So they are, they are not only losing some from the starting nine, but the pitching rotation. Nice to see Nola kind of gut through a victory there on Saturday. But it has been a rough go for the Phillies from a widening the gap standpoint. And they head into the series with the Mets, which kicks off tonight. By Again, by the time most of you listen, it'll be probably game two of the Mets series. And the Mets are right there for the division in the early going. So big series for the Phillies going to New York, uh, but not at full complement because of the injuries. And I, I have to say right now, all things considered, all the hype, everything we've talked about, the offense, you know, all these things that, you know, get people excited. The Phillies right now are 12-9. and nine. So, should they have a better record? Maybe. Will they have a better record this time, you know, in September? Probably. But right now, I'd have to say it's a little underwhelming, the fact that they're just three games above five hundred. And what they start, 5-0, and 4-0? Oh, and oh? I think maybe 4-1, right? Well, they, um, I know they won their first four for sure. So, they're a game below five hundred since that start. I mean, that's one way yeah. to look at it. It's not the most positive way to look at it, but I think it's been a little underwhelming results-wise. You know, you get the you get the highlight reels, you get the eye candy there with the dingers and the offense early going. Arietta's been great. Uh, but outside of that, the pitching's been inconsistent. The bullpen is who knows. And at times, the offense hasn't carried them. So, again, I know it's very early. I expect this team to win 90-plus games like we talked about and be in the postseason, play October baseball. They got to try and get healthy. But they also need to start stringing some wins together. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I, I think the biggest injury of them all is right now, in my opinion, would be Gene Segura. I mean, the guy was pretty much your best hitter. Yep. He was hitting on base all the time. So he was kind of 
another table setter like McCutcheon, you know, getting on base and it's just having those injuries to your starters. I mean, you know, we could cry wolf all day long. I mean, nobody's experienced more injuries than the Yankees. I mean, I think they got like 11 guys on the, uh, the uh, you know, the injury list. So, but again, it's one of these things where, you know, pitching, you know, they send Nick Pavetta down. Here's a guy that, you know, some of us saw, maybe even me, I thought that, you know, he was kind of getting things together and this could be one of his breakout seasons. And right now, as your second starter, he's already been demoted to the minors and they brought up, or I guess they just activated Jared Eikhoff as a starter. So pitching, 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 as much as, you know, the bats are going to come around, I think this team will definitely hit. It's, you know, it's going to be, I think it's going to be the Achilles heel of the team. And the, the other thing is, is the organization going to stand pat? Is Matt Clintac and, and the Phillies brass and John Milton, are they going to say, you know what, enough's enough. We need to bring in some arms because, you know, Craig Kimbrell and, and Dallas Keuchel are still out there on the market. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I know it, it depends. Maybe those guys get desperate because they haven't signed yet. They're like, well, you know, I can make some type of money for the season. So if the best deal I can get is only a one-year deal, so be it. Then I'll, I'll sign with the Phillies. Could be an inviting situation with, the, you know, the chemistry of the team. And, you know, and they look like they're in position to do a lot of things. So, but I agree with you. You know, 12-9, it's just, you know, they've leaked oil lately. And, and part of that's injuries. But all the, the bigger part of it, too, is, you know, their pitching has not been that great. Quick update on John Mita's boy Bryce Harper. He has reached base in 21 games to start the season. Congrats. <laughs> All right, uh, to the Philadelphia Flyers, shall we? We'll wrap up with the All birds. Right. We're going four for four here, folks. Brotherly Love Podcast. Yeah. Be Love Podcast on Twitter. Holla. All right, um, to the to the Flyers, because they hire a new head coach in Elaine Vigneault, a guy with track record, guy has been to the Stanley Cup Finals twice, once with the Vancouver once with the Rangers. He's not won the Cup, but the play into June twice as a head coach. Certainly commendable. He was on the short list for, uh, short list for Chuck Fletcher, the Flyers GM. And I think the thing that stands out the most from the press conference, what I read uh, thereafter, was the commitment to defending. And it's something if you, if you read or watched Chuck Fletcher's press conferences down the stretch run and after the regular season, the wild, former Wild GM, Flyers GM, talking about that they have to clean up things defensively. You can't give up that many goals and expect to compete for a Stanley Cup. Now, some of it is personnel, but some of it is a mindset. And Chuck Fletcher has talked a lot about that. Elaine Vigneault echoed that in the press conference, is that they have some people to get the job done. They're going to need more. And I think you'll see this roster take a uptick for the better uh, with free agency in the draft, et cetera, any trades that might be coming in the summer. But for the Flyers, they have to cut down the goals against. It's a mindset. It's also an accountability thing. If you feel like there's no you know, uh, no repercussions for turning a puck over in your D zone because you're lazy or trying to cheat for offense and it gets jammed down your throat and ends up in the back of your net and there's no repercussions, then w- what's going to stop you from doing that again? And with Elaine Vigneault, a guy that's been around the block, a guy that will command respect, a guy that typically his teams have been very good defensively, and you have a young goaltender in Carter Hart net, you don't want to hang him out to dry. You have to play with the right approach and the right mindset. And that's the feeling and the vibe I got from everything I read with the press conference. I think this team is going to look remarkably different when October rolls around. 
I think they're going to be a better hockey team. And I think with a guy like Vigneault now, a veteran head coach that will command that respect from the older players and the younger players aren't going to say boo, I think this is going to be a team that's going to be better defensively. I don't mean that they're going to be lock it down, 1994 New Jersey Devils trap. I think they're going to be a team, though, that prides themselves in playing the right way, generating offense by defending well, closing on plays, and then spending time in the offensive zone. Puck protection is the name of the game now. If you can spend time in the offensive end, it's like having a good running game in football. You keep the other team on the sidelines. We'll see if the Flyers can accomplish that. And one of the other things that really jumped out to me is that Elaine Vigneault was assured by Chuck Fletcher that they were trying to win now. This is not a rebuild. That's going to be tough. But a guy like Vigneault doesn't want to wait around for four or five years for the Flyers to get their act together. He wants to compete now or maybe the following season at the most, you know, as far as as a wait period goes. So we'll see what happens. I think the Flyers are going to get much improved in the offseason. I like the hire. I kind of forgot he was out there because he'd been with the Rangers for so long. But a guy like Vigneault gives you instant credibility behind the bench. And we'll see if the Flyers approach and their MO changes to being a more cognizant team defensively, which will allow them then to get the puck, spend time in the offensive zone, let their skill guys go to work. Well, it's funny, you know, obviously you were the hockey expert out of both of us, but I think, um, you know, just to your point in regards to defense, you look at a team like the New York Islanders this year, they got a head coach, Barry Trotz, who came from the Washington Capitals. You know, their, their defense was like on the ranked one of the worst in the league last year. They were like, I guess like maybe like 27th, and then they like moved up to 11th, and they had 103 points this year. So, I couldn't agree with you more. It's I think they, they have some decent young, talented, young defensemen, and you've talked about it before. I think in the offseason it's critical for them to land like a stud veteran defenseman. I don't know how they do that, how Chuck Fletcher gets that done, but I think it's very important to kind of add some veterans into the mix there. And you know everything I've read, I don't know much about the coach. I mean, I've read a lot about him. Like, is he going to, you know, how does he – I think it's definitely a good hire because he's had a lot of success with a couple different organizations. So it's not like you're you're taking a young assistant and hoping that he can be the next real thing. You're kind of taking like a proven commodity. I'm sure Flyer fans wish that, you know, that guy might have been Joel Quinville, but he was scooped up by the Florida Panthers. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, again, this is going to be a process. It's not, not going to happen overnight, but – I'm interested to see how, over the course of the offseason, what type of moves are they going to make. And it'll be interesting to see his coaching style. Everything I read, that like the media in Philadelphia is probably going to love this guy. He kind of has one of those, you know, he kind of, I guess, brings the fans into what he's trying to achieve and do, you know, as a head coach. So that's, that's important because, you know, as fans, one of the most knowledgeable fan bases in all of sports, you know, that's something that we really enjoy and, and want. So that'll be good, and we'll, we'll just we'll take it from here and see what happens. But I think the good thing when you're talking about overall is the fact that we have, it looks like we might have a franchise goaltender. I, I, I think that's going to be huge moving forward, just like when you get a franchise quarterback in football. If you have that key guy, I think that's just going to set your organization up for years to come. So, well, we'll see how it goes. Couldn't agree more. I think Vigneault as well has a presence about him, sort of a professionalism that'll sort of mesh with the Flyers organization as a whole, what they've always stood for. And then possibly, you know, as you mentioned with the fan base, 
I don't know if they're going to attach to him. He's not going to be a John Tortorella type where, you know, you're going to see a lot of blow-ups and antics and that sort of stuff. But I think what you're going to see is that professionalism and a respect for not only the, the media but the game and how things are played and how his team conducts themselves on the ice. And I think all that is very important to the culture that the Flyers are trying to get into place because, again, let's be honest, uh, with everything that came out after the firings of Hextall and Hackstall, there wasn't a lot of good culture going in down there. It was sort of a toxic environment. I think Chuck Fletcher understands the importance of changing that and trying to change it quickly. Uh, let's stick with the Flyers for one moment and this whole Kate Smith statue thing. Uh, the statue has been removed from outside the sporting complex area there after it was uh, sort of brought to light that years ago Kate Smith uh, performed a song that certainly had some racial undertones to it. It's been decades since that that generation, that era. Obviously, it's a very sensitive thing, regardless of the time frame, the era, the generation, doesn't matter. Were you surprised the Flyers moved so quickly to get this done after it was sort of reported that the Yankees weren't going to play the Kate Smith God Bless America video anymore once that sort of came to light? Listen, I know this song was very offensive. It, it definitely does have some racial undertones. I think as a society, we really need to be careful. Um, like with with all the political correctness, and I'm not trying to get into politics on a you know a sports podcast, but I just think there's certain things. I mean, you're, you're talking about something that happened a really long time ago. You know, I think the big question we need to ask ourselves is: Okay, why did this come to light right now? Yeah. Right. Yep. It's been absolutely years. Like the song's been out there since what the 1930s. Um, so all of a sudden, in everything we do now, anything hints, it's just I don't know. It could be a little overboard. I mean, I understand that it could be offensive, and listen, I, I get it. If it's that offensive to people, and people, you know, if you had a bunch of protesters like coming out and be like, "Hey, Kate," you know what I mean? Like just wreaking havoc for the Flyers to take a stand and listen, get this out. Like it's like all the Confederate, you know, the Confederate flag statues down South, like everyone was like attached to like a government building. I mean, they just all learned them. And they were a piece of history and they just wanted them all stripped down. I mean, I, I just think we're, there's, I, I just think we're a little oversensitive. And I think as a society, you know, we, we got to toughen up a little bit. You have to have a little tougher skin. You know, I'm not calling, you know, what she said was right. No, not at all. I don't, you know, I don't embrace her at all. But at the same time, I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, the timing of this situation. And if you look, if you kind of did a poll, it sounds like a lot of people are really upset with the Flyers organization for acting so swiftly. And, and that, you know, some people are really hacked off about it. So, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say. I mean, I, I just, it's such a fine line. but It I, is, I and Johnny Mita, you're never going to make everybody happy. Well, no, you don't it. take down the statue. Oh, the Flyers are racist. How could they let this go on? You take down the statue. Well, why? Well, come on, why are we so sensitive? I mean, it's just today's yeah. world. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because, it again, really- so many decades passed, nobody knew. I mean, think about how beloved. I didn't even know the Yankees were playing. I thought Kate Smith was a Philly thing. I had no idea the Yankees were playing the video. Poor Lauren Hart yeah. jumped on Twitter the other day, and Lauren Hart's like, what a sad day this is. Like, she seemed, like, emotionally crushed that she was sort of associated and looked up to somebody like Kate Smith for so long. So imagine how she feels 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and so it's just one of those things that you're not going to make everybody happy. Did they yeah, overreact? The Were we too sensitive? Who knows? But, I, I mean, just think about how many years the Flyers got life out of that building by playing that video. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is crazy, but maybe it's time for a change. You know, maybe bring some new mojo. Hey, and remember I said to you a while back on a podcast, and I think it struck you a bit, like, how many of those players are European-born? Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God bless America. First of all, for them, it's ninety. It's ninety seconds of just like swaying to the beat because that's the routine. That's tr- that's uh, you know the tradition. And and when you play but, a Canadian team, you you know you're obligated to play O Canada and then the Star Spangled Banner or God Bless America, whatever your choice is as an organization. And it's like, you know, we're not in Des Moines, Iowa. When the Iowa Wild play the Manitoba Moose, you might have like twelve Canadians in the stands, but yet we're playing O Canada. For a team that's from Canada, yet half their roster might not be. So it's just tradition. It's something that's been done for so long that everybody does it. The sports teams and leagues continue to just roll out the same thing. In the case of the Flyers, it was tradition. It was great tradition. It gave you goosebumps. And you're right. Maybe it's time to move on. Yeah. And maybe this is, you know, sort of the perfect, I hate to use the term perfect story or reason to do it, but, you know, now they have no choice. Now that they've, they've pulled the statue, I'm sure they'll pull the video. And away we go. All right, uh, lastly, the NFL draft. I can't believe it's this week. But Thursday night is round one. And uh, Johnny Mita, I, I I should probably cue up some like good football sounds and music for you. Take it away, my friend. I'll just say this. The Eagles, I would just like them to have, find a way, to find a way to f- draft some guys that are going to contribute now. I don't... Like, I get the sense at times Howie Roseman likes the Sixers and the NBA philosophy of draft and stash. I'm tired of it. If, 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 if it's a fourth-round pick, he better get on the field. If it's a third-round pick, he damn sure better be getting playing time. And if it's a first or second rounder, they better be starters by year two or three. I mean, it's, it's absurd to wait this long for guys. And look, Derek Barnett, great pick. But, I mean, there are guys that we have seen that have been drafted you know, outside of Lane Johnson, when was the last time the Eagles drafted a guy who came in and became an all-pro and, and a pro bowler and has been here a decade? Am I missing somebody that obvious? I mean, Carson Wentz, we hope, you know, is here for a decade and stays healthy. But he was also the second overall pick. Yeah, I mean, again, this is critical. You know, you look at some drafts in the past. I mean, look at a guy like, a guy like Sidney Jones where... right. The name that the name that keeps and I'm sorry to cut you off, but the name keeps jumping out to me from last year is Josh Sweat. Like that guy didn't even dress towards the end of the season. (laughs) You know? What was he, a fourth round pick? What so so now you're gonna sell me on oh next year Josh Sweat's gonna be part of the rotation. Well, is he? I don't know these things. Do they know? I mean, that's what bothers me. And Carson Wentz is gonna get paid at some point. Whether it's during this season, whether it's next offseason, they're gonna pay the man. You better have young talent that's cheap to come in and fill some of those other top position spots because when you start paying your quarterback $25, $30 million a year, that ties up the cap. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah. Um, it, it, again, this draft is going to be very interesting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because a lot of years I've kind of had an inclination which with what way the Eagles would go. or I, I've had a couple guys of mine. I'm like, oh, that kind of makes sense. I could see them doing that. This year, I don't know. Um, 
and, and, and a perfect world for me. I mean, the guy that I've touted for weeks now, and, and I'm going to say it one more time, and I'm going to see him on a commercial with uh, Deshaun Watson for the NFL draft, but it's Josh Jacobs, the running back, the guy that can do it all. No shot in hell they're taking him. What? You know that. What? I don't know, man. I know. I they Listen, they don't draft running no. backs. I know, but I think this could be the year. Exactly. You know what? Honestly, if there was a year, it would be this year when they're like, oh, they don't need it. They have Jordan Howard. They'll probably bring back Sproles. They have Clement. Yeah, why would they take a running back? Yeah, I mean, I, I well, apparently Peter King just released an article, and they said that the Raiders, the Eagles, and the Colts are heavy on, on Jacobs. The other thing is, you know, they're always going to build with their line. So it's going to be either a defensive lineman or an offensive lineman. And listen, I'm fine with that if the guy can play. If it's Danny Watkins, and I know you don't know these things going (laughs) in, but, like, there have been too many misses. I appreciate them wanting to fortify the lines because if you don't pressure the quarterback, if you don't protect the quarterback, you don't have a prayer. I don't care who your quarterback is. Bottom line, I don't care who your skill guys are. If he can't stand back there and survey the defense because he's running for his life, he could be Jesus Christ and he stinks. Yeah. So protect yeah, the quarterback, um, pressure the quarterback. I'm fine. You know what? I used to hate the lineman because it wasn't the sexy pick. I don't care about that anymore because if the guy can play and he's going to be part of your group, part of that rotation for years, it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy being linked heavily to the Eagles is a guy by the name of Jonathan Simmons. He's a D-tackle from Fletcher Cox, his alma mater, Mississippi State. Here's the problem with him. He blew out his ACL, so we'd have to wait another oh, year. Oh, that's perfect. For him to get on the field. That's so, what, how yeah. he's got him. To, he's on the top of the list. Uh, he's definitely on the big board for sure. They um, love it. They love know, the draft and, and put on the IR move. Do they go outside the box and take a playmaker, a wide receiver, a guy like Marquise Brown from Oklahoma or DK Metcalf? I, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of value. I think there's a ton of there's a ton of running backs that I love. So if we don't take Jacobs number one, I still think you can get a quality one. But I'd like to see him draft one in the first. You know, I'd like to see him go like maybe defensive lineman, um, running backs, and maybe like another offensive lineman to shore up depth. You know, and and we'll see about corner. Corner's the position that's kind of, you know, we really never have that one corner that's just. You know, you can forget about it. That Richard Sherman type of corner where you're like, you know what? That side of the field is locked down. Whoever their best receiver is, it doesn't matter. And then we have yet to get that guy. So, could there be one of those guys in the draft? So, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll be all geeked up. You know, may I'll find somewhere in Florida to watch the draft. I'll be sitting there with a notebook trying to predict every pick. But I just, like you said, we need contributors. When it comes to the NFL draft, with your first-round pick, you need to get starters for your football team, if not pro bowlers. And we haven't been able to do that for years. I mean, there's been some drafts in the past. I, I read you some of the running backs that this team has taken since 2010. Like, I know you don't want to value certain positions, but at the same time, you want to smack yourself in the face and be like, really? This is the group of guys that I drafted that thought would at some point make an impact for my football team? You know, and I think maybe it's time for them to get out. You know, they were so stuck on their philosophy. I mean, look at Andy Reid. He was so stuck on they would only, with the Joe Banner, where they would only pay certain positions. Well, we'll pay defense ends heavy. We'll pay corners good money. But linebackers, we won't worry about. 
And wouldn't that be nice? What if some impact linebacker falls to us? Do we take a shot there? So I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm I got one. I got one prediction for you. Howie right. Roseman. At some point, the Eagles will make a trade where they give up their spot to acquire draft picks in 2020 and or 2021. You can absolutely book it. I don't know if it'll be their fourth round pick. You know, maybe they have two fifth round picks. I haven't looked at to see how many selections they have, but I guarantee you, fourth round or later, the birds will slide on down and pick up a couple of six rounders in a draft that we'll all be dead for. Guaranteed. <laughs> that sounds awful. Great prediction, but that sounds terrible, John. What? Uh, can what? we? Can and we also? Um, can we also? I think we also need to talk about our boy Donovan McNabb. Yeah, we yeah, you're right. Have a little. Bit. You gotta shed a little light on that. Yeah. Um. Go ahead. All right. Yeah, I'll start. I I saw. Yeah, go ahead. It's. I mean, you sent me the link. It's absolute quick uh, clickbait. Okay. Because now I didn't hear the interview, but if you read the whole quote, he says if they don't get to the championship game in the next two or so years, if I if I'm I don't have it in front of me, if I'm quoting him correctly, so it doesn't necessarily hold Carson Wentz and the Eagles. Basically, McNabb took a shot at Wentz saying or at the organization, essentially. If Wentz can't get him in the championship game in the next two or so years, I believe was the phrase he used, then they need to look at drafting another quarterback. And I don't really have an issue with that statement. I don't. Because he's not saying two years. He he didn't just go out on the mat and say, if they're not there by next year, the guy stinks. That's not what he's saying. He got roasted for it, and I understand why he got roasted for it. I'm glad guys like Lane Johnson came to Wentz's defense, because right now Carson needs it. It's crazy to say, but he probably needs some insulation because this year is a huge year for him, not only to try and get paid, but to make sure the rest of the NFL knows not only can he stay healthy, but he is the franchise quarterback. We believe he is. And so I think it's a big year for Carson Wentz. And so all the outside noise isn't going to help. However, I'm not ready to... Look, McNabb should keep his mouth shut. I get it. He said dumb things since he left town. He was never the brightest guy. Let's remember he thought you uh, you couldn't tie a football game. So he's not the brightest, the sharpest tool in the shed. So I think this is just his MO. You know, he's had some off the field issues. His radio show he does or his, his work in the media has never been mind blowing from a, uh, a sharp standpoint or a very, you know, exquisite type standpoint. He's not the best speaker. He's not the best leader. We've seen that. And on top of that, Donovan McNabb, you know, to him, Getting the championship game is a standard. That's what he did best. He didn't win it often, but he got there. So for him to say Wentz needs to get there in the next two or so years, I agree with that. They should get there. They should get there this year. If they don't, what's the fan base going to do if Carson Wentz doesn't get to an NFC championship game by the 2021 season? They're going to freak the hell out. And, and, rel- and rightfully so. So I don't have that big of an issue with what he said. It's just the fact he keeps putting himself out there and taking shots at the organization, almost like he's jealous of Wentz and the love he's gotten and all those things. So I think McNabb just needs to think better about it. But if he was asked a question or if it was an interview or whatever, that's his opinion. I don't disagree with the opinion. Yeah, I mean, at some point, listen, I understand, okay, you're talking about a guy, like when we're speaking of Carson Wentz, has had some injury-riddled history. You know, my whole thing with McNabb, it's like, can he talk about any other team? Beside his former team, and you know, I thought Lane Johnson made a great point. The guy just never really—he he just never really—he's not well perceived and well liked because, like, he's a bit of a jerk. 
And I just, I, and I think it's pure jealousy, man. I, I think that, listen, to this day, I don't care what anyone says. The draft. Donovan, when Donovan McNabb, I think exactly right. Yep. When Donovan McNabb was booed by those, you know, 30 people from the 30 to 30-30, you know, booing him on draft day because they won the draft. I mean, you would have thought the whole city of Philadelphia, he heard it as the whole Philadelphia, the whole city of Philadelphia, you know, booing him and not embracing him as a starting quarterback. And from that point on, he just will never, he'll just never get it. And listen, I hope Carson uses that as fire. You know, you were hoping McNabb would be like, you know, he would want to, I don't know, give him like a vote of confidence or like be that kind of elder statesman. Like, you know, your best franchise quarterback in franchise history. Maybe just, you know, give the kids some confidence. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what his end game is. I mean, I don't think the comments were too bad. But, and like you said before, it was definitely clickbait. Everybody's, and now he's kind of, kind of backpedaled a little bit from what he said. But again, it's just, Amazing how critical he's been of Carson and Carson. Listen, let's let's face it. I mean, he's still a young pup, man. We're only talking about this is going to be what technically is what fourth year in the league or third year. Fourth, but you yeah, know, right? Fourth. As but, far as games you know, played goes, third. Right. Exactly. But yeah. So, I, but again, I mean, the importance. Oh, you know who also came, well, you know who also came out. And, you know, for those who don't know that. You know, we're kind of angry with Donovan McNabb and just never gotten and ruined his career. Our man Freddie Mitchell, that's right, Fred X came out to the forefront and was talking about all the times that he'd spent time at strip clubs with McNabb and all the strippers told him that McNabb really hated him and he couldn't understand why. And he wanted to babysit for his children and do whatever he wanted. He just wanted the damn ball. So good old Fred X chiming in. What a worthless slug he is, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, those two together. Yeah, oh. yeah exactly. Yeah. All right, brother. Good stuff as always. Glad we could uh, get off the sabbatical and crank out another podcast for iTunes and SoundCloud. Appreciate all the love and support. Go Sixers. Go Phils. And uh, we'll see how the draft shakes out for the birds. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. When 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 are you coming home to this area? That's what I want to know. I will when be the, the early June trip is booked. Even if we win the damn Calder Cup here in Des Moines, Iowa, with the Iowa Wild, uh, as soon as the, the season is over, it'll be the uh, you know the middle of June, early June trip, and then yeah. uh, some time now, down the beach. Do. All right. Well, then I'm going to see if I can set up a live podcast for down the beach. I love at it. A Whoa! Am Maybe. I am I hearing? A, I, I I'm not going to say anything now to the peeps, but I think I know what yeah. you're thinking, and I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to see if we can get it done now. I might have to come out with some money in my own pocket. To that's get it all done, right. But... Hey, man, that's what hey. you do best. And listen, I think the but new open the new, the new open will be stop feeding John Mead a pina coladas. That's what we'll go with. There we go. I, I love it. I love it. Hold on. I'm, I'm more of a strawberry daiquiri. All right, it's strawberry daiquiri. That's fine, too. It's a little softer in my book, but we'll, we'll deal with that. <laughs> all right, brother. Good yeah. stuff. Love you, man. You got it. Much love. Thanks to everyone listening. Really appreciate all the love and support as always. For John Mead and Joe O'Donnell, Brotherly Love Podcast. Till next time, we'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.